and a spooky day to you, Brett. Oh, happy happy holidays. I'm not going <laughs> to I'm not going to name which holiday it is. I'll just say happy holidays. It's Halloween. That's oh. the holiday. Yeah, I I'll name it. All right, <laughs> let's go ahead and get started then. Let's do it. We are Necromancer. Necromancer. I am Shira, and I am a very spooky fan of romantic comedies. And I am Brett, and I have a very romantic idea about horror movies. Ooh, I like that. And then together each week, us two skeletons wrapped in flesh (laughs) deliver amazing remixes i pick a romantic comedy brett picks a horror movie we review those movies and then we bring them back to life like frankenstein's monster in the opposite genre we turn that horror into a rom-com and the rom-com into a horror this week our or theme you is- know we could combine both genres and instead of going frankenstein we could go frankenhooker Ooh, Ooh, I do like Frankenhooker. A romantic horror. That reminds me, we should totally do a sex workers episode. Oh, yeah. I For mean, sure. we we have to talk about Pretty Woman. It's it's obviously it's not it's not one of my favorite rom-coms by any stretch, but it But I've never I seen mean, it, so it'd be a it, good excuse to. I mean, it, it's just something that if you're a student of the genre, you're going to have to watch it eventually. If you're if you're serious about this whole romantic comedy thing, um, <laughs> but this week we're doing Halloween movies. Halloween. What's your favorite part about Halloween? The horror movies. <laughs> oh, come on. Wait, I, I, it's like, need I ask? Uh, I and, and then I still asked. Um, for me, it's definitely not Christian Girl Fall. Uh, I think that... What is that? So this this whole the 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 whole pumpkin spice and the sweaters oh, and the I pumpkin picking and the and the cozy voluminous clothing in the boots. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a whole, I I call it Christian girl fall because it goes all the way back to pilgrim days. This is just, you know, this is part of, part of American fall is, is white girl fall. Uh, but for me, I love the candy. Uh, obviously I love the sweet. And then I've always loved Halloween for getting up into costumes. I mean, Halloween is the the one time of year I like to get really creative and, you know, maybe maybe even at the beginning of October or before, I'll already be thinking <laughs> of what I I want to do. I mean, obviously what's, this year what's there's the nothing- hands down best costume you've ever done. Like bragging rights. Shira. Okay. All right. I was, I was, so I I don't know saved, if I've seen this. I don't know. We'll have to post I, there, it on our. There are pictures. Uh, <laughs> so 
I my name is Shira, and although it's spelled differently, my entire life people have been saying to me, "Oh, like the princess of power, right?" Uh, and so I I avoided doing Shira my entire life as a costume, and then I did uh, Halloween in Vegas, which is I mean you can imagine it's a wild freaking party. Uh, and then my best friend, whose name is Jasmine. She did Jasmine. So because we we like to make Halloween a multi-day event on Halloween proper, we were Shearer Princess of Power and Princess Jasmine, two wow. of the most powerful princesses out there. Because, you know, Jasmine doesn't Wait. take shit from anyone. Princess Jasmine as in Aladdin Jasmine? Yes. Oh, okay. I just watched Aladdin last night. Mm-hmm. What a great and- movie. And I mean, Jasmine is definitely up yeah. there among the princesses. Yeah, when Jasmine uh, gives Jafar attitude and then Gilbert Godfrey. Why am I not surprised? <laughs> right. Great, right. Read, great line reading. Uh, and then the next day we did Rogue and Storm. So gotcha. I got to I got to do two of my favorite characters for Halloween uh, in the same weekend, which is pretty awesome. That's, I'm not going to lie. I'm very impressed. Yeah. A a double whammy in Vegas. That's a good Halloween. Absolutely. What about you? What was the best costume you've ever worn for Halloween? Uh, You know, it's funny that you mentioned Rogue because you're actually a fan of X-Men. I love X-Men. I watched the cartoon religiously when I was growing up. And I mean, I fucking hated Jubilee, though. If you were Jubilee for Halloween, we can't be friends anymore. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. This is a deal breaker. (laughs) Uh... No, this um I I was not a fan of X-Men growing up. I just never got into them. And I always thought Wolverine was super overrated because of course if, you know, half of people would think that Wolverine is overrated cuz half the people love him. I always like Gambit. However, Gambit's I amazing. A, I lost a bet one time and I couldn't shave. And so then the 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 time after the bet that I could shave coincided with Halloween. So I had this big bushy beard and I trimmed it down into these huge sideburns and I handmade my very own Wolverine costume. But it was like a sweeted whole Wolverine costume, like um, Be Kind Rewind. Like I had blue tape on a yellow shirt. I had retractable claws, but they were really like... They were very, very crappy kid. Like it was almost like a five-year-old did it, but I was 23. <laughs> That's awesome. So I, I was just proud of my retractable claws. The fact that you could retract fiber. them, that's yeah. definitely, that's that's a great touch because you, at that point, the entire night, you're just going to be retracting them and springing them out the entire time. Oh, well, just, they weren't spring. It was just cardboard. I just slid oh, cardboard but, but back sliding, and forth. But sliding them out it would be fun, too. But yeah, I, I use that all night long. Shing, shing, shing. <laughs> yeah. uh, snick, oh. snick. I just forgot my other favorite costume that I did prior to the, the, the rogue and She-Ra special uh, in uh, I think it would have been in 2008. Right. Uh, I was uh, Sarah Palin. Uh, You know, I I am a brown haired girl with glasses. So it was 
very easy for me to style my hair that way and then find in a thrift store a little red jacket. And then I just went around all <laughs> night saying, gotcha journalism and maverick. Were, were you Sarah Palin or were you Tina Fey as Sarah Palin? I was doing my own Sarah Palin <laughs> okay, character. Gotcha. Uh, gotcha. But no, I mean, Tina Fey obviously did it the best. Half of the politicians I know, I mostly only know them from SNL impressions. <laughs> Yes. No, I, 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 I really don't even know what George Bush is like. All right. I know is Dana Carvey and then the King yeah. of the Hill episodes or the <laughs> Simpsons episodes where they move next door. <laughs> I, I have a completely fictional conception of those presidents. <laughs> All right. Well, let's go ahead and get this uh, Halloween episode going. What movie would you like to start with? I think we should start with Lady in White. <laughs> Lady in White. <laughs> oh my God. Okay. I <laughs> I think Lady in White starts off pretty good, but by the end of it, we're just going to run out of steam and then practical magic is going to create a wonderful discussion. <laughs> oh yeah. Ugh, get get ready. Get ready, folks. Um so yeah, Lady in White, tell us about why you chose this movie. Uh well yeah, you suggested Halloween. So the movies had to have something to do with Halloween and obviously I wasn't going to pick the Halloween franchise cuz come on. Uh so I thought, you know, I'm just going to type in Halloween movies on Wikipedia, see what I get. And one of the movies that popped up was Lady in White. Most people would probably gloss over Lady in White and just think it's a generic horror movie like Woman in Black with Daniel Radcliffe or something. That's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah, it's just a generic horror movie that's a little bit older. Nothing special, right? But the movie is centered around a local legend of Rochester, New York, which is my hometown, go Nighthawks. And so, you know, it was like, cool, this is my hometown. And my uncle's daughter is in the movie. She plays Mary Ellen, who's like the oh. angel girl. Yeah, so she's like, she got to be in the movie. That's pretty so cool. So you're, you're related to the little ghost girl. Yeah, not by blood, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> that's going to come in. That's going to come very important. That's going to be a very important detail in my uh, remix sequel is like Ooh. the blood, the, the, you know, blood sacrifices and stuff. Blood sacrifice. Always a great idea. Uh, so had you heard about this urban legend prior to this movie? Yeah, a little bit, but mostly I know it from the movie. Uh, this was kind of like the witches for me, that sort of nostalgic stuff where like I couldn't remember, I couldn't really tell you anything about this movie before I watched it. But then as I was watching it, it was just a flood of, oh, that's right, this scene, oh, that's right, this scene. And so uh, I don't really know the legend, though, that much. I never, I never like took a downtown tour of where she haunts the place or whatever. 
So, I mean, but do you know, do you know some of these areas that they shot and things oh, like that? No, I don't think m- most of it was shot in Rochester. Uh, ah, it was it's shot, just supposed to be in Rochester. Yeah, they mentioned the city a couple times, but I don't think they actually shot any of it anywhere. Uh, they shot it outside of Rochester in, I don't know how you say it, Lyons, 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 Lyon. I don't know, but... So can you see New York City from Rochester, like he described? No, when they talk about the city, I think like Rochester is the city. <laughs> I don't oh. think, I don't think, maybe they're talking about New York City, but it's hard to tell. I don't know where the geography is exactly of this White Falls place, the city. Um, no, Rochester is six hours away from New York City. Mm. Yeah, New York's a big state. Not as big as Texas, but. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I, this movie really didn't work for me. Yeah. Like it, it profoundly didn't work for me. (laughs) It's got a, I think it's got a pretty cool setup, but you're Uh, right. Like the the end of the, go go ahead. You can start. Well, no, I was just going to say, we'll talk about it because I feel like with a lot of the movies that don't work for me, I still like to think about, okay, well, what was this movie trying to do? Uh, And, and I think that there are definitely some things that this movie was trying to do where I felt like, Oh, I, I kind of, I kind of recognize this. Like um, what's the Robert Mitchum movie where he plays the crazy preacher. Oh Yeah. Anyways, Charles Lawton, I think, is the director of that movie, and he directs it in a way that's very kind of dreamy and like a fairy tale, and it's not meant to be, you know, hard realism. Like a lot of the a lot of the scenes are stagey, but deliberately stagey. Uh, and so I think that there there's some of that influence here, uh, where I think that the director Frank Lologia is trying to do that, but he's really not a good composer. I wish that like his music is not, I'm sorry, Frankie, but your music is not very good. I would think that as an Italian, he would know, you know, how to find the composer for him because all the Italian directors are usually mm, chef's kiss when it comes to finding the right uh, person to score the movie. Like Fellini has Nino Rota. Um, what is it? Uh, Argento has his weird synthy scores. Um, you know, the, or Goblin, right? Is the yeah. guy who yeah, does yeah, yeah. all the... And uh, Ennio Morricone. Yeah, Ennio Morricone. Like there's, you know, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't expect this from an Italian, maybe an Italian-American. Um, but... Yeah, no, there are just some things where it's like, I I get the vision here, but the execution doesn't quite work. But we've kind of talked about the reasons why stuff like that doesn't quite work, like working with child actors, for example. (laughs) Uh, And I don't. I, I don't think a future Pussy Posse member, Lucas Haas, is that great of a child actor. I think his his bro, Leo, is definitely acting circles around him at that age. Yeah. Uh, I, I will say I'm a fan of the Critters franchise. So Leo's foray into horror, the Critters 3. 
Critters Three is, know. A, is a more enjoyable movie than. I don't know. Leo did horror. Yeah, Critters Three. That was one of his I mean, first. I'm more mad at Leo now for never dipping his toe <laughs> in romantic comedies. As I maintain, uh, if Leo has done any romance, it's always been a capital R romance, whether that's Romeo and Juliet or Titanic, their dramas. Uh, he's never done a romantic comedy, and I think he really should. Uh, sure? And then we could do a Leo episode, but right now he's preventing that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just living on in memes. All right, well, let's go ahead and get into this summary. I will be honest with you. Usually I write my own summary of a movie because I like to, I like to slide in there. She little takes and perspectives uh, rather than just giving you the straight summary. But this time I'm just going to be completely honest. I, I copied everything from Wikipedia because I, this movie just did not grab me as much as it could have. Maybe it's because it's, it's not, I'm not connected to it like you are to Rochester, the best of the Chesters, as you've said in the past. Uh, whereas, you know, a movie like One Night at the Alamo, because I'm a Texan, is, you know, it really gets me because it's like, oh, yeah, I totally get this. This is, this is what Texas life is like. Uh, so I, I, I guess I, I didn't have that connection to it. We don't have fall here the way it's shown in the movie, <laughs> which is gorgeous. Yeah. Uh, all right, let's do this. So on Halloween, 1962, nine-year-old Frankie Scarlatti is tricked and locked inside his classroom coat room by schoolmates Donald and Louie at the end of the day. He's trapped there after dark. He witnesses the apparition of a young girl who happens to be Brett's uncle's daughter. Whoa. Uh, And then uh, he sees the girl being murdered in the coat room, though her assailant is invisible. And then moments later, a man enters the coat room and attempts to open a vent grate on the floor, but then notices Frankie. He strangles Frankie unconscious And then in a near-death vision, Frankie again sees the girl who asks for his help to find her mother. Frankie is revived by his father, Angelo, and rushed to the hospital. Frankie is unable to see his attacker's face, so the policeman arrests the African-American janitor, Harold Willie Williams, believing him to be the attacker. So a lot, a lot happens in the beginning, and they try to make it very folksy and cute because... Uh, Frankie's it is very folksy and cute, but it, it, I'm saying it's trying to be, I don't know. I, I do really like the grandparents, but I feel yeah. like it belong that belongs in like a different movie. It, it, it I don't know. I couldn't tell yeah. if this, is this a kid's movie? Is it supposed to be? So I, there was a question I was going to ask you before we got into either one of these movies. <laughs> and that question... Because the murderer is a child rapist, too. I think that they make it clear that he's, like, into kids. Well, so the question I was going to ask you that could apply to both of these movies, I think, is... Who is the target audience for this movie? <laughs> oh, well, I can answer that question for practical magic in one second motherfucking women Ugh, all right well. women women <laughs> practical magic was written for women 
All right. Well, a hundred percent. I don't understand women. Then uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll unpack this, that. Yeah, this movie <laughs> is is PG thirteen, and it is whimsical. It's got this like poltergeistian sense of like there's whimsy, but there's also like really grounded horror but the horror is also kind of magical in a sense i mean the girl is being strangled in front of this kid's eyes and then she's being float carried by her is that murderer the part that's grounded yeah she's being strangled alive that's like true crime horror that's that's like real horror that's you know like this child rapist going around killing kids that's that's pretty scary I and mean, they that's... show it. They show it happen in front of the, a little child. They show it. But the way that they arrange the mystery, though, to where well, it's just uh, uh, it's it. Th- this but... this frustrated me because, like a lot of movies that haven't worked for either of us, this movie wanted to have it all without settling for one direction. So this it's very whimsical, very Goonies-like. It, the the setup to this movie Goonies. Is, yeah, the setup to this the movie does not... It does not match the payoff of this movie. Uh, there's no setup to the lady in white at the beginning of the movie. There's no real setup to like the mystery of who the killer is. There's no payoff. When you find out who the killer is, you're just like, oh... It's that guy? Like that that's it? Like well what's going to happen from here on out? Like oh this some lady we don't care about is going to save this oh, And so, then here's the like, other thing is that the fact that they so it's like okay we got Goonies, small town, whimsical charm and you know like ghosts but it's like oh like like when he goes unconscious after being strangled by an adult, he has this little flying adventure, yeah. like he's bed knobs and broomsticks or something. Yeah, so and then it's he great. goes to the sound stage. It's with great. The graves and the or like again, it's I think it's trying to be like a Charles Lawton movie, um, like that movie that I can't fucking name. Oh, uh, Night um, of the Hunter. I looked. Night it up. of the, yeah. I think I think that this. This definitely feels like a movie that's trying to do what Night of the Hunter did so well, which is tell a very scary adult story, but through the lens of an innocent, a child, and to present the world both from their perspective and then give you sort of the grounded reality that is the ugliness of human nature. I so think- I, it is, tr- I get what it's trying to do. I get that. I, okay, here, here. I think, I think everything you're describing is true about the movie, but I think it's closer, it's more aligned to Poltergeist. However, I think it is a far inferior version of what Poltergeist does. And part of that is the tonal shifts. Because, you know, when we talk about movies like uh, 876 Evil or The Hitcher or Drag Me to Hell, which we've covered all these movies, those movies have these crazy tonal shifts. But But it works for them. But it works for them. This movie goes from silly silly grandparents fighting and oops i fell in the cement to kids dropping the hard r (laughs) and and black people being murdered 
for just straight up racist reasons. Like that. But why did it? Why did we have to have all of those things? Why, why? did we need all of that? We we <laughs> that time could have been better spent on the lady in white, which is the right. name of the movie. No, the lady in white <laughs> doesn't even appear in this movie that much. Yeah, um, not until the end when it's like, oh yeah, by the way, this movie's called Lady in White. In case you forgot. Like, but yeah, no, there's, there's, this movie is about everything and nothing, just like Seinfeld. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so anyways, Frankie strangled, black man arrested. Frankie's recovering at home and Frankie's brother Gino shows him a newspaper article about the attack. He learns that it is linked to the deaths of 11 other children, all apparently by a child serial killer. The ghostly girl is Melissa Ann Montgomery and she continues to appear to Frankie. They form a tenuous friendship. Uh, striving to help her, he returns to the cloakroom and removes the cover of the net to discover several dust-laden objects, including toys, a hair clip, and a high school class ring. So all of this murder evidence uh, and serial killer trophies, Frankie just takes with him. Uh, later, Frankie overhears the chief of police telling his father that the case against the janitor is crumbling and that the coat room is also the scene of Melissa's murder. Uh, after considering this new information, Frankie confides in Phil Terragrote Terragrosa, a family friend that the class ring likely belongs to the killer and that he thinks the killer returned to the cloakroom to retrieve it as the school's heating system was being replaced. Unbeknownst to Frankie, the ring, which had accidentally fallen out of his pocket earlier, was found by Gino and hidden away again. Uh, I don't understand the point either of having Gino being the one who figures out who the killer is when our point of view character is mousy little Lucas Haas. I don't, I don't understand it. You're nodding. Like you understand. No, I'm nodding. Like you don't understand it because it doesn't make sense. <laughs> no, it, it absolutely it's perfectly doesn't. reasonable for you to not understand it. I don't understand it either. Meanwhile, later, <laughs> so Donald and Louie. This is this is how I feel. This is how I feel about practical magic. Meanwhile, for some <laughs> reason, <laughs> oh, I can't wait! I can't wait. Um, so Donald and Louie, the same motherfuckers who locked. Frankie in the closet, but Frankie's like, okay, I guess I'll hang out with those kids again. Uh, they lure Frankie to the nearby cliffs where they encounter a ghostly lady dressed in white. So in addition to there being the ghost of the lady in white, the ghost of Melissa and the little girl, who's not the lady in white, there's also a living crazy lady who, who dresses in white. To the lady in white is related to the lady in white. So the lady in white has to share the stage with several other people. It just, I mean, it really should be like the lady in white and friends. Um, (laughs) So all three boys, they take off running. And, oh, and we get a little cameo from our friend Ramon. 
The elevator. Oh, I wrote that. The, yeah. So I did not take many notes for this movie, uh, it, like hardly at all. But one of one of the notes I put is it's Ramon. It's Ramon. Yeah, that's what I thought when I first saw it. Yeah, Ramon cameo. Man, R- Ramon would have spiced this movie up. You know, if they if they oh, had a third time. if they had a third act. From dust to dawn. Oh yeah, and there's vampires. Oh yeah, and the sewer contains this grown-up yeah. Rochester has an abandoned subway like tunnels, so people yeah. for sure live down there. Um so yeah, Frankie runs into Gino uh in the surrounding woods. Frankie tries to explain the link between Melissa, the attacker, and the lady in white, but he is unsuccessful. And then one evening, uh Melissa appears to both Gino and Frankie. Uh, the town clock begins to chime, and Frankie realizes that her nightly death reenactment is about to commence. They follow her ghost to the school, then wait until her lifeless body reappears, which is carried by an invisible figure from the school and onto the cliffs. At the last minute, she awakes and begins to scream, and she's thrown off the cliffs. A pale blonde woman dressed in white then comes out of the cottage. Upon seeing Melissa's lifeless body on the rocks below, she flings herself off the cliff and also plunges to her death. The ghostly scene ends, and the brothers head home. Finally, Frankie understands the source of Melissa's anguish. Uh, he vows to help her, help bring her killer to justice. So it so, just doesn't make any damn sense. The killer it, it throws her off the cliffs right in front of her mom's house? Yeah. So he, he throws her off the cliffs. And then in the in the legend of the lady in white, it's it's unknown if she killed herself or was killed. So there's, you know, there's debate over did she really jump off of the cliff or was she murdered? And at the end of the day, I think what this movie is trying to go for is the the very typical kind of um, the, the changeling. The guy who wrote The Changeling and who wrote Stir of Echoes, that author, he... Oh, Stir of Echoes had a much better kid actor, too. Oh, yeah. But I think it's it's trying to go for that thing of the ghosts are haunted and the living person has to help solve their murder so that they can be free. Right. Like that's what the movie is going for, except the first half of the movie is about the killer. And we get, we get no information about the lady in white so that later when the lady in white does get redeemed, we're like, well, who cares? I want to know about this killer guy. And the killer guy is a, who cares about him too? Why did he do it? He just, yeah, he rubs his face up against Lucas Haas. And that one smells him a little bit. Oh yeah. It's so creepy, but yeah, I I agree. This movie, I, I understand like you, what it was trying to go for, but you know, I think it, uh, it needed to spend more time on the archery range aiming for that bullseye. (laughs) Okay. Broken arrow. (laughs) Um, So here we go. The grand jury has failed to indict Willie due to insufficient evidence outside the courthouse. The distraught mother of one of the murdered children shoots him to death. This fucking Karen, how dare she? Um, And then Gino researches the class ring he found 
using one of his father's old yearbooks in the class ring, he realizes that their father and the killer wore the same type of class ring. Angelo's yearbook reveals that the initials on the ring, MPT, belong to Michael P. Terragrossa. Uh, Gino deduces that P stands for Phil, uh, and then he rushes to tell his father. Frankie happens to be with Phil at this time because, of course, he has to be as the plot mandates. Uh, and yeah, this uh, was very sloppy, very lazy. It was, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's not like we've never written anything lazy in the process of these episodes, but but this is this is really lazy. But you know what? This guy, I mean, this guy, Frank Lelogia, he doesn't have too many movies that he's made. Like, this is a guy who's from Rochester who heard a local legend and said, I wanna I wanna make this local legend a movie. And he did it. You know what I mean? Like that's No, of course. I'm never going to minimize the achievement of anybody who makes a movie that we review for this podcast. It's more than I've done. I'll say that. Well, I'm very fascinated because sometimes when I watch a movie, I'm thinking, wow, this movie is very intimidating because of how good it is. But then I watch a movie like this and I'm like, you know, this movie just, it feels like someone just really put a lot of love into it. And you know, that's, that's all I This is the story of Frank's life. Right. This the main character is named Frankie because so that is he probably Frank didn't have, He probably didn't have money to hire a screenwriter. Like he probably should have. He probably didn't have money to hire a composer. Like he should have. Like this, this is, is a just a guy who got it done, right? And he, you know, yeah. No, and I and I'm I'm sure that as far as rendering his life, his childhood in Rochester, this time period. I think he did a good job. And I mean, I get the sense that, I mean, aside from the family friend who was a serial killer, (laughs) whether or not that was real, uh, that he had a pretty charmed life in Rochester. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it is very folksy. It is very like campside fire tale. Like this is uh, a Rochester local, like, yeah, it does have those kind of vibes. Like, yeah, so it's. I wouldn't it's be surprised. Like, I wouldn't be surprised, for example, if all the things that happen to Frankie in the beginning of the movie are things that happen to Frank Lelogia. Uh, right. The falling in the cement, the getting locked in the cloakroom. Right. Um, I don't know about the being strangled unconscious, but uh, <laughs> he'll he'll have to answer that one himself. <laughs> uh, so, anyways. Frankie realizes Phil is the killer after he begins whistling, did you ever see a dream walking, which is something uh, we heard Melissa sing earlier. Uh, Phil realizes that Frankie has figured out a secret and then he attacks him. Uh, Frankie runs away to the cliffs. Phil catches him. He confesses to the murders and then he starts to strangle Frankie again. And then Phil is struck from behind and they both collapse to the ground uh, Frankie wakes up in Melissa's old cottage with Amanda Harper, the living woman in white, our female Boo Radley. 
and learns that she was the one who saved him from Phil. Um, but I mean, like not for long. Uh, and that she was the lady in white that Frank saw earlier when he was with Donald and Louie. Uh, she reveals that she's Melissa's aunt and has been living in the cottage since the deaths of her sister and niece. And then Phil attacks and kills Amanda, setting the building ablaze in the process. So it's like he gets rescued just so this crazy lady can deliver her monologue. And then Phil kills her. Uh, and then we're back to the, you know, did we need the interlude with her at all? No. I, I don't know. Um, <laughs> so anyways, um, Phil pulls Frankie out of the burning cottage so that he doesn't die by burning to death, but instead so he can throw him over the cliff. Again, if he really wanted Frankie to die, he would have just left him there. Um, and he would have, you know, collapsed from smoke inhalation and burned up. Uh, and then, so Frankie drops safely to the ground. Uh, oh wait. Uh, so Phil attempts to throw him over the cliff. Uh, Frankie is saved by the ghost lady in white, <laughs> the other lady in white. Uh, and then she frightens Phil and causes him to tumble over the cliff edge. Uh, and then Melissa and her mother, the two ghosts, they unite and they pass over because they've achieved it but they also didn't wait to see if they finished the job like you get this whole ghost reconciliation thing before phil has even died he's just he he's about to he's he's hanging off the cliffside and that that's enough they saved they saved frankie from the serial killer and that allowed them to pass over um and then so frankie crawls away Phil tries to grab his ankle. Angelo, Gino, and the police arrive. They save Frankie. And then Angelo, because he's a good man, also tries to save Phil. But then Phil lets go and falls to his death. Uh, the green screen in this scene was very cringy. Um, but again, this is a labor of love. Frank was it's working like, with the budget he had. Yeah, what's the difference between this kind of green screen and the kind that like Alfred Hitchcock uses? That also looks cheap and and dumb and silly. I don't know. I think that it actually looks pretty good in some places like Spellbound, you know, where they kind of have that effect because he's afraid of falling because of his his traumatic past. They they manage to render it in a way that that feels less hokey. And, you know, there's a lot of bird puppets in the birds. Mm -hmm. Uh, But uh, anyway, anyways, so Phil is dead. Uh, and then everybody <laughs> watches the cottage burn to the ground and Man, snow dude. begins yeah. to fall. Ugh, Just, this is very similar to the ending of uh, Under the Skin, right? Like there's a fire with ashes going into the sky and then snow falling down on the ground. It's very poetic. I guarantee this is the first time that late Lady in White and Under the Skin are being talked about in the same conversation uh, and in relation to each other. You heard it here first, folks. A, a necromancer exclusive. Yeah, I just, oh God, this, just, this movie just did not work for me. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think you can tell by the fact that, like, yeah, the summary that you gave 
wraps it up perfectly. It's just, you know, it's, it's, it's a slow burn that leads to a lot of nonsense. <laughs> I also, the other thing I didn't understand is why they, I mean, in some cases I get that it's meant to look stagey. Like when he has the um, astral projection and he meets with Melissa in the spirit realm, essentially. Yeah. And it's very stagey uh, when they're in front of her gravestone. Um <clears throat> I understand that, but the parts where he's running through the forest and it's clearly a soundstage with fake trees and a fog machine, I I would think that there's plenty of real forest yeah, for them to film. Yeah, but then you light a forest at night on film? Ugh. Sure, that sounds like a disaster. <laughs> True, I guess. It's just this was digital cinema and they could and you know they had better lighting conditions at night, maybe, but this is an indie film shot on film in upstate New York in nineteen eighty in the eighties, yeah. This I I, you know eh, I'll give them that one. (laughs) All right. Anything else you want to say about Lady in White before we get into crush territory? No, no, I'm very curious to hear who you are. I think I might know, but. Okay, I'll take a guess and then I'll tell you. Uh, I'm going to go with the grandma. (laughs) I do enjoy the grandma. I think she's a sweetheart, but I'm going to have to say that I agree with Frankie's teacher and I want Angelo to give me a call. Um, Frankie's dad is a good man. He takes care of his sons. He takes care of his parents. He's clearly the, uh, the bachelor about town. Uh, and even though his friend betrays him and turns out to be this just incredibly awful person, uh, Angelo still has the heart to reach out to him and offer his arm up. That's incredible. You're making me feel very bad that I did not include Angelo in my remix. (laughs) (laughs) I just had too many characters. Um, But yeah, I I agree. Like that's, that's all cool stuff. Who are you crushing on? I like the grandma. And for the the very specific reason of when, when uh, Frankie comes home and he's all excited about his, what were they postcards or Christmas cards or whatever? He gets these cards in the mail and he comes, he comes running home and his grandma's like, wipe your feet. And he wipes his feet and then comes back in and his grandma's like, they're upstairs on your bed. And it's like, yeah, she's grandma. She knows like, she knows he's excited, but also you gotta wipe your feet. (laughs) And she's always trying to get grandpa to stop smoking cigarettes. Yeah. And it's, you know, yeah, it's cute. I agree. I I think she's pretty darn cute. All right. Well, let's get into remix territory. Now, Brett has told me that he is going to do a hybrid this time. Uh, So we're going to save the best for last. And I will go ahead and pitch the remix that I teased to you yesterday. (laughs) Are you are you excited? I am. 
Um, so I, I, I didn't spend as much time as you did on, on your, your hybrid pitch this week. Uh, but I, I sketched an idea that had me just positively tickled. Uh, so the name of my remake is called That White Lady. That White Lady. I like that it already. That White Lady. In a small New England town, a woman named Karen Smith dies mysteriously after she calls 911 on a black family having a birthday party in a public park. There are too many people who hated <laughs> there are too many people who hated Karen for the police to land on a suspect oh, no. and the case is dropped. She becomes a local urban legend, that white lady, because townsfolk claim to see her ghost at night yelling her signature phrase, I'm calling the police. Uh, Or, you know, I was thinking I was thinking that white lady could have a few signature phrases like it's not legal for you to be here. I'm calling the police or. This is America. I, I don't know. She's She's got a few. She's got a soundboard. Uh, and now Frankie Scarlatti, who in this version, I aged him up to be a teenager. And he's got a girlfriend, which he did mention in the original movie. Frankie is dating this nice black girl. Uh, yeah. And, you know, some people in town are kind of closed minded. Uh, and don't agree with Frankie and Mary's relationship because he's white and she's black. Um, but these kids like each other and their parents respect each other. So they don't care what others think. Uh, that was another thing I thought was cool about Angelo and made him crush worthy was he, he was not at all convinced that Willie had anything to do. Yeah. With what happened to Frankie, he he was like the only person I think who was who was saying, "Hey, that's not the guy." Yeah, and like right away, without hesitation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then so <laughs> then Frankie gets locked into the school's cloakroom by a couple of bullies and comes face to face with the ghost of that white lady. Uh, and then Karen begins following Frankie around because he's the only person who can see her. Uh, and now <laughs> she's causing all sorts of problems for Frankie's relationship. So I, I didn't, again, I didn't get into too much detail, but I just imagined that, you know, rather than having a comedic pairing where it's, oh, funny racist white lady and the the black person who has to teach her how to be not racist let's make it frankie's problem you know mary ellen doesn't need to deal with this it's frankie who should really have to deal with karen uh and and manage her and and try to uh get past her uh, so I haven't thought as much about, uh, the vignettes, but let's just say that she keeps doing Karen things, uh, where, you know, maybe he tries to go on a date with Mary and, uh, that white lady is saying things like the service here is terrible. <laughs> Frankie, why don't you call the manager? And Frankie's trying so hard right. just to ignore her and to focus right. on the date and, you know, just, and then maybe, maybe Karen starts doing ghost stuff when the waiters <laughs> are, are doing what she wants. Um, you know, and it's just stuff, stuff like that. Um, and then finally, 
Frankie tells Mary and his brother Gino what's going on, and they agree to help him exercise that white lady. Uh, and Karen tells them that she'll leave if they find her killer, who she insists is one of those people. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but upon some Sherlocking, the gang finds out the truth, which is that Karen was killed by her boyfriend at the time, Phil Telegrosa, because... Oh. He could no longer stand the shame and embarrassment caused by Karen's actions. Uh, and then Karen goes off on Phil and Frankie asks if she's going to pass over. And then Karen says that she has a new mission now. She's going to haunt other Karens to warn them of their fate if they die while being a Karen. The end. That's a good lesson to learn. Yeah, don't be a Karen. Don't don't be a Karen. Don't call the police on people having birthday parties in the park. It's their right to do that. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody needs you raining on their parade just because they didn't invite you. <laughs> I like um, it. I think you I think you walked that line very well. Right. No, I, I, I feel like this, this was a movie made for this moment. Uh, right. you know, parents, as far as, uh, what is it? The Google search algorithms. I'm sure that it's, you know, skyrocketed in 2020 with all of the, uh, the Karen and Kevin incidences, uh, that we've, we've recorded this year. Uh, so, I mean, I think, I think that white lady is very timely. Yeah, no, I agree. I'm very impressed at the uh, the level of satire you're able to bring <laughs> to this. I I just I don't know. I again, I didn't get into too much detail here, but I I had a lot of fun just thinking about ghostly Karen. Uh, all right, well. That is all for the lady in white. Now, ooh, I'm rubbing my hands together. You can probably hear it. Practical magic. Yeah. So normally we um, normally we record both episodes at once, but we release each one separately. So you know, we cover the rom com in one, then we cover the horror in another. Uh, but we're going back to our roots this time, and we're going to cover both both movies in one episode. So, I have to know, since we're doing Halloween, why Practical Magic? You know, it took a circuitous journey to Practical Magic, because originally I was thinking, well, why not do something Tim Burton? You know, Tim Burton is kind of the king of the spooky romance, whether that's, you know, Jack Skellington and Sally in Nightmare Before Christmas, uh, or Corpse Bride, or, I mean, you could even make an argument for Edward Scissorhands, although I feel like that has more of a Christmas vibe. Yeah. Uh, and, and he's kind of the king of the, the spooky romance. But you and I looked at the same exact <laughs> Wikipedia <laughs> list uh, for Halloween movies, and I saw Practical Magic, and... Your movie begins on Halloween. My movie ends on Halloween. So, you know, I think that's actually kind of a a nice little symmetry. Uh, And the other reason why I chose Practical Magic is this movie is a 
true cult classic in that it did horribly in theaters, horribly. It didn't make back its budget. That's how badly it did, uh, which like you, to, to understand how bad that is, this isn't an indie movie where, oh, they had a little modest budget like Lady in White. Right. No, you, you had bankable actors, Nicole Kidman, Sandra Bullock, and millions of dollars on the line, and they still didn't make back the budget. Um, yeah, on Wikipedia, but- they referred to Lady in White as kind of a cult, you know, cult hit in the long run. But I bet you more people have heard of Practical Magic than Lady in White. Like, <laughs> oh, almost, yeah. almost certainly. And as far as you know, if there, if if a theater was doing a re-release or a special night of uh, Lady in White versus Practical Magic, the Alamo did that, for example. Oh, so many more people would come out for Practical Magic. But that's the thing about this movie is it did horribly in theaters. Nobody understood it, just like Brett. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it became a cult classic for women and a Halloween movie for women. Uh, and most recently, the thing that made me even more decisive about my choice of Practical Magic is uh, there's a, a running column on uh, AV Club called When Romance Met Comedy, uh, written by Caroline Seed, where she, you know, analyzes different rom-coms. And sometimes I'll look to that column for inspiration. And it being the Halloween season, she just dropped an article on Practical Magic uh, right as I was getting ready to do this podcast. I haven't read it yet because I don't want it to influence what I have to say about the movie, but it just drove home to me how culturally uh, Practical Magic has become a cult classic for women specifically. I have friends that love the movie. I really enjoyed it on my rewatch. Uh, and, and it definitely clicked to me why this is so appealing for female audiences. And it's not just because it's based on a novel by Alice Hoffman. And I, I guarantee you that novel is marketed as women's fiction. Um, but the movie is very much oriented in a woman's perspective, a single mother's perspective, uh, what it's like to have female friendships, f- female family. Uh, and, you know, that that works for me. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, that's a very good. So, hey, wait, had you seen this movie before? Yes, I saw it when I was growing up, but okay. you know, when I was a kid, I actually thought that the possession of Nicole Kidman was really scary. I thought that her I thought that her evil boyfriend and and the whole just everything having to do with Jimmy Angelov was terrifying to me. Uh, but of course, I thought that, you know, the sisters relationship Aiden Quinn. Oh, Aiden Quinn is so hot. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm just going to have to interject with that at random points. Aiden probably. Quinn is the, the cowboy detective. Yes. Gotcha. He's gorgeous. 
I know that we don't talk about our crushes in the rom-com, but <laughs> he's definitely yeah. the one. I don't know. This whole movie just felt like, uh, I feel like I've said this about some rom-coms, but it just, it feels like it didn't go the extra step for me. It just, it feels like a lot of wasted potential. It, it, I just didn't get any of it, <laughs> but <laughs> You know, sometimes I'm not one of those people. I'm not one of those people who likes to go on to Rotten Tomatoes and and go like, you know, I hope this movie got a terrible score. But when I went on to Rotten Tomatoes halfway into this movie and saw that it was sitting at, let me let me double check real quick. I think it's sitting at like a 22%. That doesn't surprise me at all. Ah, oh, I was so relieved. I was so relieved because I was like, I'm so glad because to be you're in the majority. Yeah. I'm so <laughs> glad to be in the majority on this one. Uh, I, I will. Anyone who says this movie is good, I, I don't care. I, it's not that I hate this movie so much that I'm going to fight you on it, but none of this movie made sense to me at all. I was constantly questioning what was going on, why it was happening, and where this movie was going. So. <laughs> Oh, well, we I go. am perfectly ready to explain. Tell yes. us the story, Brett. Well, so much like you, I do try to 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 splice my my summaries with with a, a dash of Wikipedia and a dash of my own little interjections. But for this, I like I had no idea what was important in the movie. Like I reading reading just the description on imdb it says two witch sisters raised by their eccentric aunts in a small town face closed-minded prejudice and a curse which threatens them to prevent them finding everlasting love uh, uh, okay <laughs> sure that's accurate though okay so here's here's the long version of of how we get there Maria Owens is a young witch, and she is exiled to Maria's Island in Massachusetts with her unborn child for escaping her execution. When her lover does not come to rescue her, heartbroken, she desperately casts a spell upon herself to stop falling in love, only to die soon after. The spell twists and becomes a curse for several generations Men loved by Owen's women are doomed to die an untimely death. Okay, so I kind of got vibes of like, um, what was the witch movie with Veronica Lake that we watched? So I Married, I a, married witch. a Witch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I got a little bit of uh, Pig Nose vibes, Penelope, right? Like we got a curse. And, and to it me- It is whimsical. Yeah, but the movie is not whimsical. The movie's about like an abusive <laughs> like okay. So in the present day, Gillian and Sally Owens, two descendants of the Owens family, are taken in by their aunts, Francis and Jet, after the death of their parents, uh, which was due to the curse coming true, and their father dies in an untimely death, and their mother dies of heartbreak, which is uh, all right. So <laughs> Sally is the more gifted of the two. While Gillian's talents are more in charm and persuasion and being sexy. Being uh, Nicole Kidman. Yeah. No, uh, but see, I'm not, I don't know. Nicole Kidman doesn't, 
Like, I, I don't get the appeal as much. Um, She's a stone-cold fox. I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, after witnessing their aunts cast a spell on a man for a woman who seems obsessed with having his love, Gillian decides she wants to fall in love, and Sally casts a true love spell to protect herself from ever falling in love. Years later, on the eve of Gillian's departure for Los Angeles, the sisters make a blood pact on Gillian's insistence. They promise to meet again in the future and die together as old ladies. In the intervening years, Sally meets and marries Michael, a local Apple salesman. <laughs> Is that what they say in the description? That's what it says in the <laughs> no, description. No, Apparently no, that no. is worth noting to the, for the story. <laughs> Michael, There's no, no, I cannot believe that. I cannot Michael believe that. This is very important to the story. <laughs> Why? I don't understand. I don't understand how this is a movie about love, and they just gloss over the fact that Sally has two daughters with this guy, and then she has her whole life planned out. And one morning, you know, we get the death beetle thing, and Michael's gonna die, and then she's like desperate to find this insect, so she tears apart the entire house, and then randomly Michael is just hit by a truck and dies. Like, I think, you know, in, in 876 Evil, they do this cool thing where uh, the, what was the guy's name in it? It was like Scooter or something. Spike? <laughs> Spike, yeah, Spike. He, no, what was the kid's name? The nerdy kid. Ah. The, but the, the nerdy kid, he he stabs the spider, which he's using as the curse. And when he stabs the spider, the girl dies. Like, it, like... Give me some visual connections. When she st- when she out of frustration attacks the insect and stabs the beetle, that should cause Michael to die, in my opinion. Instead, he just gets randomly hit by a truck, and oh no one seems concerned about <laughs> justice for Michael. <laughs> they just and and they gloss over the fact that Sally's ants cast a spell so that she could fall in love. I mean, I grew up on Aladdin, right? We're talking about Princess Jasmine and Aladdin. There's three rules. You can't make someone fall in love. You can't raise someone from the dead. And there was one, and you can't kill someone, right? We saw them cast a love spell at the beginning of the movie. So we knew already that in this universe, witches are capable of casting love spells. They're capable of casting curses that prevent love. Um, but I just, okay, I do want to talk, I do want to talk about Michael's death scene because I am a romantic. I am a romantic. I'm sweet. I'm cute. I'm cuddly, but I'm also incredibly cynical. And when I say that I howled with laughter when Michael died, it was disturbing how much this death made me laugh. And the reason it made me laugh was this, Brett. I, when I saw him walk across the street with that freaking cart of apples, I thought to myself. Because he's an apple salesman. <laughs> But just you can't. doing his job, just some blue collar, normal, you're, you know, your run of the mill local apple salesman doing his <laughs> blue collar job. I mean, I, I do think that the actor, Royal Pains, uh, that it's guy's pretty hot. Life. 
All but she no, wanted was a normal magic if, free life. And she you, got it. But if you've seen any movie at all, then you know that there is no apple cart that's ever gone into a movie frame that has not been hit by a car. Yeah. Like, and then uh, what's his name? What's his name from uh, from the French Connection? He just comes barreling through and mows Michael <laughs> down. So yeah, Popeye, I don't think right? I, I've Doyle never seen, I have never seen a fruit Gene Hackman himself killed <laughs> Michael. I have never seen a wooden cart of fruit in a movie that did yeah. not get completely destroyed. And so I wanted to tell Michael, dude, you can't go out there with that apple cart. It's just not safe. <laughs> We get this weird fake out of the bicycles. Like it's supposed to ratchet up this tension and go like, gotcha, bet you thought he was going to get hit by a truck. Oh no, wait, he did. I was actually hoping that instead of getting hit by a truck, because that I, it was just so obvious that that's exactly what was going to happen. I was hoping that the bicyclist gave him a heart attack. Yeah, I again, like if she stabbed the beetle, then he died of a heart attack, and it's just like this very Hitchcockian or almost like, you know, like a 70s horror movie, like The Omen or something. You have something spiritual, and there's something like, this love is not meant to be. Instead, we get this big buildup to the husband dying. He gets hit by this car, and then she swears off magic, and she says, my daughters are never going to do magic, right? And then years or so she says she says that her daughters aren't going to do, do magic, okay? So Gillian runs away, and, and Gillian starts dating this guy named Jimmy. Jimmy Angeloff in, in Orlando. Angel, Angel. Love. And, and so she starts dating this guy and she's super in love with him. She's a witch. And basically, I don't, I don't know if it's specifically said or not, but he's basically a vampire, right? I don't he, think he's a vampire. I just think that he's but, just an Eastern European. He's just Euro trash. Okay, he's a Euro trash guy, but he's got this vampiric energy in the sense that he is seducing. He thinks he's her. a vampire cowboy, right? He's seducing her, and he's he's drawing her in, and he has her under a spell, and he's very lusty. She, it's a very carnal relationship. They can go all night long. Just, I mean, the guy so. who plays Jimmy is pretty hot. Sure. So. So they have a very carnal relationship and he has a very vampiric hold on her because he is he is actively sucking her life force because he is he turns abusive. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, he turns abusive. The sister calls for help, right? And Sally goes to help him, but then like then he kidnaps them and then the, and then she kills him. And then they try to bring him back? Like, am I getting this right? Like, this doesn't make sense to me. Okay, here. Let me explain. Okay. First of all, the signs were there that Jimmy was abusive because when... Also, I really like it when... Because I think something that's valued among women and sort of demeaned or reduced in popular culture is 
women's intuition and the ability to sense without reason that something bad is happening. The way that uh, Jillian knows that Sally is mourning without Sally having to call her. She goes to her. Uh, but then they only spend one night together because this relationship is so all-consuming and possessive that she can't even leave Jimmy for one day without it being suspicious. And as she's talking about her relationship with Sally, Sally kind of gently is like, doesn't that seem a little weird to you that he, you have to drug him to go to sleep? Uh, why is, why is your relationship like that? And then when Jillian is in trouble, uh, Sally knows that it's her calling before she even picks up the phone and she knows that she's in trouble. So she goes to her sister and then when they kill Jimmy, they are afraid of that uh, causing them to go to jail. Uh, and they think that if they bring him back to life, that they can just send Jimmy on his way and or get rid of him, but that he'll still be alive and they won't be responsible for his murder. That's the entire reason why they do it. Okay. Let me just say... <laughs> Thelma and Louise accomplishes this in 20 minutes, whereas it takes this movie 50 minutes to to get to this point of you know what I mean? Okay, you're you're definitely correct in the in the fact that I think that Thelma and Louise does this same exact sisters against misters plot uh, and does it extremely well. Right. Although, I mean, in Thelma and Louise, it, it ends much more <laughs> darkly than it does here. Sure, sure. Um, yeah, Thelma and Louise isn't a holiday movie, a, a lighthearted holiday movie like Practical Magic. No. Um, and so, yeah, I don't, I, 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 yes, I agree. I agree with everything that you said. It just didn't work for me. Um, uh, it so, was a big tonal shift. It just, uh, yes, it was. Um, so let me see, where are we in the story? So they're driving back with Jimmy's dead body. So they're driving back with Jimmy's dead body and then and then they want to resurrect him. Why? Why so do they So they if they resurrect him they won't be responsible for his murder. Okay. So I just I don't know. I have a very hard time believing that they would use the resurrection spell on Jimmy instead of on Michael. Like, I just don't, I, I just don't well, understand. No, the, she wanted to use, she wanted to use it on Michael because remember when Michael died, the first thing that she did was go to the aunts and ask the aunts to bring Michael back. But the aunts say that, no, don't do it. He's going to come back as somebody different, even though it's possible. Ho, don't do it. Uh, and so she doesn't do it. Uh, and then with uh, Jimmy, 
I think that she decides to do what Jillian is asking for uh, because it doesn't matter as much that he comes back different so much as that they are able to escape the murder charge. All right. I guess... I guess to me that plot. I guess I got. I just get stuck on the plot instead of the characters because the this the is about the sisters' love for each other. The characters' motivation. I I don't buy that. I I guess I just don't buy that that she wants to protect her sister to the point that she would break her own vow of not using magic especially the most dangerous magic that she knows she will do anything for jillian including break her own vows okay but then i just i i feel like there i feel like it's a missed opportunity because then gary hallett shows up right wait no no you you skip the whole the whole resurrection gone wrong so the re- well, I'll just I'll summarize it really quickly. The resurrection goes wrong, uh, and they end up killing Jimmy again, which kind of makes this whole "we have to resurrect him" thing make no sense. Yeah, um, and they bury Jimmy in the garden, and then out from his buried grave, a uh, rose bush comes up. But yes, then the, then the cowboy cop comes. But then, but then Jimmy, where does he go? Like, there, there's no tension between. To me, it's like they use magic to to resurrect Jimmy, and then they, they. To me, it seems like okay. Now she's broken her rules. She's used magic. She said she was never going to use magic. Now she's used magic. Now she should pay a punishment for using magic. However. She's using magic for a good reason. So to me, it seems like now they have to clean up their own mess. They use magic to to try to fix the situation. To me, they should be using magic to cover things up even more. And that should be snowballing into comedic things of the more we use magic, the stronger Jimmy's hold on us gets. Because we're, we're combating his aggressive behavior with something that we know we shouldn't be doing or something. I like when ultimately magic in this movie isn't painted in that light. Like you're thinking of magic in the way that it's portrayed in horror movies. Ultimately yeah. magic here is a force for good. Every every time magic is done, it's done out of love or or some kind of feminine whimsy. Whether yeah, but- that's it, it I feel like that should be the end of the movie. That should be the moment where they come together and it's like one big moment of like like a surprise. I I don't know. But that's what happens when they do the exorcism. All right. Again, maybe this. I'm just not calibrated to this movie because like I said, every scene I could start with, for some reason, this happens. For some reason, Gary Gary Hallett arrives and he's searching for Jimmy, who is also a serial killer. So now we just have all of this stuff being thrown. Like, this would have been good information to know ahead of time, I feel. Spending time with the sisters in town, he hears gossip about their witchcraft, which they admit to. And then as Gary begins to suspect Sally... 
Gillian, Kylie, and Antonia create a potion to banish Gary. However, they realize very quickly that he's the one that Sally describes in her thing, uh, like her true love spell. He's, he flips the pancakes and he's got the two different colored eyes and he does something else. And so then he's got the letter that she wrote to her sister and he's so he knows that she did something good and then he's going to arrest her because he's the lawman but then he decides not to arrest her because he likes her but he then they loves still, her they still got to deal with this jimmy thing oh his favorite shape is a star right because he's a lawman so it, like, and he can ride a horse backwards i also uh, I, I i think that it's not the letter to her sister but when she wrote the spell she also wrote it all down in a letter and just sent it off um with no expectation that it would make it to anyone and he got the letter because he was a real person. And this entire time he's had this letter that contained her spell and her description of him and has wondered who she is, has known that this person was out here and then fate brought them together through this murder. I don't know. I, I guess I don't. I understand. think you should write a, I think you should write a letter to Alice Hoffman and and ask Wait, her about I, the plot. Doesn't the letter that he the letter that he has is a letter that she wrote to her sister, right? No, it's not the letter to her sister. I think it's a letter that's related to the love spell that she made long ago. No, that's and he in her somehow diary, got it, isn't it? Like. I, this maybe I just missed it because I was completely zoned and checked out of the movie. I mean, if I'm clearly missing something, something Any, important. So, anyways, they're meant to be. It's faded mates, and now they go back to the house, and Nicole Kidman is possessed. So for some reason, she's possessed by Jimmy because. When they tried to resurrect him, she they they used black magic and a and a curse happened. I guess she was cursed. Don't don't do black magic. Be careful what you wish for. It's not that she was cursed. It's that Jimmy's spirit still remains because he's buried on the grounds. Well, then how do they get rid of Jimmy? They get rid but of I, him by doing an exorcism, right? So it's not him on the grounds. I don't, I don't, okay, I don't know. Well, he's causing he's causing the rose bushes to grow. His spirit is possessing people. He's clearly there. Oh, and he he caused the um his tequila to show up on the doorstep, and then they uh, they drank it for their midnight margaritas. Yeah, they, so they drink. Uh, all right, so he's he's a very underwhelming threat who all of a sudden becomes first place priority in things to take care of because now he's possessed someone and he's doing very bad things. So they, so 
in a very funny moment, I will give the movie this. Sally calls the PTA tree to create a coven of <laughs> ladies to all exercise him. But then again, like these characters just do things that are inconsistent, I feel like. Because then all of a sudden the women who are very judgmental against the witches show up and they're all totally gung-ho. They just wanted to be invited. <sighs> all right. So, so they they do the blood bond. The 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 sisters the the women can't break the bond. Only the the blood the blood pack can break the bond. And then, and then and then what? And then they sweep him out. They take the yeah, with and they sweep that negative energy. That toxic masculinity (laughs) right out of the house. Girl power, sisterhood, women helping women, women got to stick together, girl power. And that's the end of the movie because then the very next Halloween, everyone in town loves the, the, the witches. They all float down and they all look at each other and they all give each other lovey eyes. And then the, the lady and the guy kiss and everyone lives happily ever after. Yes. The end. <laughs> because the community is stronger now that they have accepted the Owens into their hearts. And I just, I, I love when she calls the phone tree and then she calls her friends who work at her store, which by the way, do you ever watch Shit's Creek? No. Oh, I wish you watched Shit's Creek because okay, so for anybody who does watch Shit's Creek, uh Sandra Bullock's store in town looks exactly like David's store from Shit's Creek, meaning if you haven't seen Shit's Creek, a pretentious store that sells overpriced candles and lotion. <laughs> you know, it just looks so terrible. Like like something that Gwyneth Paltrow would advertise on Goop. Uh, and uh, I, I just, I love, I love that aspect, but her friends who work at the store, Margot Martindale Margo and that Margot Martindale and the lady who looks like Betsy Johnson, uh, they're so excited. They're saying, oh, she's finally being out with it and we're here for it. But then why does the town hate her? Like they because make, they don't know her. They don't Ignorance know her. They don't fear know her. And hate. They don't know her. So their way of showing gratitude for for her finally, like, if they want to be involved in, if 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 my neighbor is a witch and I want to be involved in one of her witch sessions and one of her candle lighting summonings. I'm not going to throw eggs at her house. You know what I mean? Like, that's not a good but way for me to get invited. you're also not going to ask, though. If you know that your neighbor's a witch, you're scared of her until she does something to prove to you that she's not scary. I I just, I feel like there's there's something that's been said about some movies, about, like, a screenwriting trick, is always write a scene like you want to get in late and leave early. You know what I mean? Like you, you have this sense of urgency in your script of like, 
I, I feel like this movie gets in way too late and then leaves way too early. I feel like this movie is just a collection of deleted scenes that were cobbled together, like release the Snyder cut of practical magic. <laughs> I want the Snyder cut. Bring in Jared Leto for the reshoots. Give the director a million, like give them a whole new budget to reshoot this movie. I want the Snyder cut, man. Like I, I wish I'm we just, could make Snyder cut of practical magic <laughs> trend on Twitter. I would love that. <laughs> I, I want to believe that this movie had like, um, like the grand seduction, like the town came together at the end to support the grand seduction. They, they came together to support him and he came together to support them. If that's what this movie's about, then like, I feel like grand seduction did it better than practical magic. And that's not a compliment to grand seduction. <laughs> And I don't mean that to be rude. I just so you're mean, saying like, that if Sally Owens was played by Brendan Gleeson, you'd have completely different feelings about this movie. Yes, yes. I I just I don't know. I I feel like this movie just didn't. It just didn't work for me <clears throat> at all. I I, guess, <laughs> I I just didn't get the characters. The, the characters just acted irrational to me well i think that a lot of men seem to think what we women do is irrational but no i think that so here's here's where i think that this exorcism this femme exorcism is so important because jillian is a woman in an abusive relationship that has alienated her from everyone, including the closest person to her, her sister. When women are in this kind of trouble, it doesn't fall on men like the cowboy cop to help them. There's a limit to what he can do. But the way that women come together as a community to protect and shelter each other and to make it something that brings joy at the same time is a really unique and magical thing. Uh, and I think that that's really what they were going for because unlike a Christian exorcism, which I've mentioned this before, I tend to think a lot of exorcism scenes are boring with the exception of the conjuring. And the reason I find them to be so boring is often when there's a demon inside of someone, all you have to do is keep reading to it. So I love the exorcism scenes that dare to go outside of the read the demon to boredom mold. So in this one, you've got the women coming together, holding the broomsticks, chanting the things and, and, and sweeping out the bad energy. I I can tell, I can see the steam literally coming out of your ears right now. Okay, but so the, I don't care. The best way I can describe this, this is sort of, I guess this is kind of like my final word on it. The best way I can okay. describe this is I feel like I completely agree with everything you're saying. And I want to enjoy the payoff the, the last half of this movie was infuriating to me 
because I wanted to enjoy the payoff, but I just felt like we wasted so much time in the beginning on nonsense that didn't need to be in the movie, which is exactly what happened in Lady in White, except I felt the reverse. I liked the beginning of Lady in White because I liked this kind of idea of this killer, this this hidden killer in a sort of conspiracy, right? Like you have the two school rings so there's this idea of a conspiracy and this decades-long killer and is it a copycat killer and all this weird stuff and then the ending is like oh no it's the lady in white thing that like if you're from rochester you'll kind of know what we're talking about like well no you need to set that up and then in practical magic it's the same thing it's like no if you're gonna set up this grand exorcism at the end where it's witches versus the patriarchy that should be a big moment, a big emotional moment. It, I don't know. I just feel like the beginning doesn't do that that moment any favors. Nothing in the first half of that movie really sells me on the last half of that movie. Like, I'm a fan of the fifth element. Every single thing that happens in the first half of that movie is paid off in the last half. Like, everything. And this movie is oil and water to me. Right. I mean, well, with the fifth element, the pacing in the fifth element is pretty, pretty fast. And then the span of the fifth element is over the course of what, maybe three days uh, in in the life of the characters. Whereas this movie is meant to not only span the entire life of these characters, but to also encompass their family history. So I think that, what you're talking about to me sounds like an adaptation problem because this movie is based on a book. The adapters, the screenwriters were under a certain amount of pressure when it came to what do we bring from the book and what do we leave behind? How do we render the story in a cinematic way? And then they didn't, do as much to move effectively between those mediums. Uh, I think that, for example, the first, um, the first couple of seasons of Game of Thrones were really long and drawn out and slow because they attempted to be somewhat faithful to the books. And I think that that's actually a big mistake that a lot of book to film adaptations make is not killing or rearranging the film in a way that works. You know who does this really well? Um, the most recent adaptation of Jane Eyre by, um, uh, I forget what this, um, what this director's name is, but he's incredible. But is his adaptation. Yeah, Kerry Fukunaga. Thank you very yeah. much. Uh, Kerry Fukunaga did a brilliant adaptation of Jane Eyre. And then instead of doing a faithful adaptation of the novel, he begins the movie at the, at a later point in the novel when Jane is running away from her post and from Mr. Rochester. So it has this, you know, uh, for uh, what, how we got to this moment is the way that the movie is structured. So it flashes forward and backwards uh, in Jane's life, rather than being a straight chronological account of the book. Uh, But what were you going to say? Have you ever read the girl with the dragon tattoo? 
Yes. Have you ever seen Fincher's version? I didn't see Fincher's version. I saw the uh, the Swedish version. Sheeran, no, <laughs> I've seen the Fincher version and the Swedish version, but I've never read the book. Um, I I just I rewatched that movie very very recently, and I feel like I don't know. I also rewatched Gone Girl recently, so I'm on a Fincher kick, I guess. And I I feel like Gone Girl was a masterpiece. Oh my god, Fincher freaking knocks it out of the park. But also, I'm not a like Fincher is kind of like Ridley Scott to me. Sometimes he really hits a home run, but sometimes it's a big swing and a miss. And I felt like Girl with the Dragon Tattoo probably was a swing and a miss, whereas Gone Girl probably was a hit. But it's it probably does have to deal with the the source material, and some source materials work better as a you know as a movie to book or a book to movie adaptation and. I don't know. Yeah, maybe maybe all my problems are just in the adaptation part. I mean, but I I really feel like it it has it has less to do with the source and more to do with how you do the adaptation. Right. And I tend to prefer the adaptations that are willing to take chances and to change things to render them to be more cinematic the way that Carrie Fukunaga does with Jane Eyre versus something that's just an extremely faithful adaptation. I think that that's a mistake. I agree. I am not a purist, but I I don't read books anymore. So I don't, (laughs) I can't tell you how this, how the book fares to the movie. You should get back to books. Books can be really great inspiration. Books help you. Books help you be a better writer, even if it's a screenwriting that you're doing. Story structure is... I agree. I agree. It carries. Um, So anyway, it it sounds like we're we're reaching a natural point to our favorite question for rom-coms, which is, who would you kill from this movie? All right. Well, I don't... Who would you kill? Who... I mean, Jimmy's pretty much a piece of shit, and and I feel like his death is deserved, but I got so much joy out of watching Michael and his apple cart get run over. I don't really regret his death either, Um, but I guess I'll stick to those two. Uh, I guess I I almost kind of want to kill... I kind of want to kill Gary. Because when he shows up halfway into the movie... Are you seriously going to kill my baby Aiden Quinn? I don't understand why I need... The the love in the movie should be the love between the two sisters. I don't need the guy in it. I I don't need the, the guy at all. I don't need it. Get rid of him. I don't care about him. I mean, he can be a threat. He can be a cop who's chasing after Jimmy, but I don't need him to be romantically linked by fate to Sandra Bullock. I don't need it. Uh, I, I think like Sandy that. Sandy's hair has never looked better than it looked in this movie. She was so cute in this movie. I I, don't I, know, I really liked her in uh, while you were sleeping. I thought she was adorable in that movie. Oh, and her dad's big coat. Yeah, that was, yeah, she was, 
Um, I, I, I think that any longtime listener of this show may have parsed at this point that Sandy B has appeared in my movie picks more than any other actress. Yeah. And I'm, I'm just ready uh, to accept it. Nicole Kidman, this is not her first appearance on the show. She stopped by for Stroker, which was on the horror movie side. Oh, Stoker, Stoker, you mean? Yeah, Stoker. <laughs> Stroker. Oh, that's it wasn't that a joke in the movie? I think I think so. Uh, oh well, she was amazing in Stoker, yeah. uh, and I th- I thought that she was very charming as Jillian here. Maybe. Wait, so who do you want to kill? I want to kill the guy, Gary. Oh, Gary. Oh yeah, Aiden Good Quinn. Ah. Yeah. I don't need his pancakes. <laughs> Give him the syrup. You know what? Give him the syrup. <laughs> All right, then. So should I go first on yes. my pitch? Uh, yeah, all right. Sure. I, you know, it, it's interesting. I I tried to do what you did. I tried to do a hybrid pitch, uh, but then it just wasn't coming to me. But I will I will admit that there are some lady in white elements in in this movie, but it, it isn't it isn't a real hybrid. Gotcha. Uh, but I decided to call my horror remake of Practical Magic the head of Jimmy Angelov, kind of like bring me the head of Alfredo Garcia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like <clears throat> it. You get it. You get it. Uh, so Sally and Jillian Owens, they're two witches from a line of witches living on an, off an island off the coast of a small New England town. Uh, you know, they grow up on the island as outcasts. Uh, and then it's the same, the same first act, essentially. So let's fast forward to Jimmy Angelov, who in this version he is a gangster. He is not only is he a serial killer, he's involved with organized crime. Uh, but of course, he he turns out to be abusive. Uh, and then Jillian has to call Sally for help. And then, of course, they accidentally kill him. And then they decide to take him back to the house and attempt to resurrect him. I did not. I also decided to resurrect Jimmy in this version and I glided over the reasons. So the same questions remain for Brett. <laughs> uh, but of course the resurrection goes wrong. They kill him intentionally this time and they also sever his head. Uh, they bury the head on the property and then they throw his body into the ocean. Uh, and then they think, yeah, the nightmare's over, but it's just begun. Uh, back in Phoenix, the criminal world is shaken up by the disappearance of Jimmy because he's the only person who knows the drop location of a half ton of cocaine discarded during a plane crash. Uh, I also, I've recently read this book, The Bluegrass Conspiracy, about uh, drug runners in Kentucky. So <laughs> I just, I was like, ah, we'll throw in the ton of cocaine. Why not? Sure. Uh, so everyone wants it. and Jimmy- But it's witches, so it can be like magic cocaine maybe i mean in in this case there you know how you talked about how there were things that grounded the lady in white this can be yeah. my grounding element okay is I the you. cocaine uh and so now it's a race to see who's going to discover jimmy first the mafia or the feds uh and then sally and jillian not being career criminals uh leave a trail that eventually leads everyone to the island 
Uh, meanwhile, the sisters are having issues coping with the failed resurrection and beheading as one does. Uh, and strange things start happening around the property, like the rose bush growing uh, where they buried Jimmy. Uh, and then finally they tell the ants and the ants are, they say in terror, you buried him here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then here's where we learned that the soil on the Owens property has pet cemetery properties. Uh, and after the resurrection spell, burying him in the soil would have been the next step. Uh, so then they try to dig the head up uh, so they can remove it, but it's no longer there. And then later, under the light of the full moon, we see the branches of the rose bush twisting and convulsing into a vague human shape and squishing the severed head on top. Then the feds, the mafia, and the witches close in on Jimmy at the same time, and it's a four-way final battle bloodbath. You know how you were talking about the movie Versus, where the mafia and the zombies fight each other in the forest? That's what I'm thinking here. Yeah, I like it. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, Jimmy just seems like he's invincible uh, because every time somebody dies, they're resurrected as zombies and join his undead army. Very Helsing. Yes, yeah. all all hope is lost. Uh, and then Jillian steps forward and says, he just wants me. And Sally says, no, we're supposed to stay together forever. Uh, and Jillian goes to Jimmy's monstrous form. She gives him a big old kiss. And then while kissing him, she bites his tongue off and gouges Ooh. out his eyes. Uh, so then Jimmy screams and he tries to throw himself and Jillian over a cliff. And then it seems like they've both fallen. Sally is devastated. But then when she looks over the cliff, she sees that Jillian has been hanging on to a branch. She helps her up. The terror is over. Or is it? At the bottom of the cliff, Jimmy's reanimated head is pulled by the hair by an unseen hand, and as the head is raised like a lantern, Jimmy sees his bloated corpse body has found him at last. He's back. So set up for the sequel. Yeah, of course. I like it. I mean The head of Jimmy Al the head of Jimmy Angelov, the body of Jimmy Angelov. We could do a whole of Jimmy Angelov series. Yeah, like he could turn into a lovable Venom type antihero who, you know, that's definitely the that. second or third movie. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I like it. Very nice. Maybe Frankie Scarlatti finds his gross, his gross corpse body and he starts yeah. helping him the way that the Terminator helps John Connor. Ooh, yeah. Um, yeah, I like it. Now, the main event. Oh, boy. Tell me the story of the lady in white practical magic wrapped into one beautiful movie. So, yes, my target audience for this movie is not fans of Lady in White and not fans of practical magic, but fans of Lady in White and practical magic that's a very small then that's a very small 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 niche group that we're talking about women from rochester (laughs) um so this this might be a little bit of a mess but what what i want to say beforehand is i feel like my thoughts on practical magic are like everything that i would do to quote unquote fix the movie would fundamentally change what the movie is. 
And I have you ever seen any of the Fast and the Furiouses? Yes. Okay. So Fast and the Furious is not a particularly good franchise, but it's a it's franchise. About family. Yeah, it's all about family. I can see why people like it. And I have thoughts on what they could do to make the series, quote unquote, better. And by better, I don't mean more realistic or anything. I mean, like, no, yeah, let's embrace the cartooniness. Let's go for it. That's why the fifth one is obviously the best one. Because, like, it's so great how they the jump from realism to cartooniism is... Uh, so my version is not trying to improve on either one of these, but it is very much through a Brett lens of, like, this is going to be a Brett movie. So... We start out with Frankie. Frankie is in, where are they from in um, in Practical Magic, Arizona? Um, no, that's where Jimmy's, that's where Jimmy's from. from. I thought they were from a small, I thought they're both from small New England towns. Okay, so they're in a small New England town. So Frankie, it makes sense, right? Because if Frankie's from Rochester area, you know, it's like the Northeast area. Frankie is a legend, right? He's a writer. He's, a, you know, because he writes books about legends and, and ghost stories and things like that. And so he hears about the witch family in this New England town. And so he goes searching, right? He's a famous writer guy. He's going to make a podcast and he's going to go searching for Michael's killer. Who killed Michael? And this is going to be years later. So it's when uh, Kylie and Antonia are all grown up, right? So I didn't know you took Michael's death so hard. Oh, yeah. Who killed him? Who killed this guy? So he was just an innocent Apple salesman. So who killed him? Uh, so Frankie and Kylie, as he starts interviewing them, they start to develop a connection, right? Even though Frankie is much older than Kylie. I mean, maybe not much older, but he's older than her, right? Uh, but Antonia doesn't like Frankie. Okay. And so so there's there's something that happens that causes Frankie to go home. Right. He's he's like maybe his brother Gino says, I need your help. I need you to come home. And Frankie's like, listen, you get it. You have a sister. You know, you would do anything for her. I got to go help my brother. Frankie goes home and then boom, Gino dies and he <gasps> finds Gino's dead body. So he's like, what is going on? I need to avenge my brother. Right. And he's going through Gino's notes and he finds out that that Gino knows who killed Michael. So, so now Frankie has to talk to his brother, but his brother is dead. So he tells this to Kylie and Kylie says, you know, there's a spell that's in my family that we know that can resurrect people from the dead and we can bring your brother back. And he goes, you know, and she says, but it, it comes at a cost. And he goes, well, how about this? What if we bring my brother back? He tells us who the killer is, and then we kill him again, right? Like we ha like it's something that we it's something my brother would have wanted. He would have wanted us As to know does. this information, right? Because that's why he called me to come back home. So when the sisters, um, Antonia doesn't like it, but she's willing to do it for her sister. You know what I mean? She's got a bad feeling about it. But she's willing to do it for her sister. When they resurrect Gino, 
they unknowingly resurrect Michael. And Michael's skeleton hand comes. What? And you're like, what is this craziness? And then we cut to the ants. And the ants are like, shit, there's a disturbance in the force. You know what I mean? Like they feel it. And then we cut to the ants dead. And they've been run over by a car, by a truck. The same truck that killed Michael. So now we have this murder mystery of who killed the ants, who killed Michael. It must all be the same person, and only Gino knows who it is. The problem is now, because I want them to I want them to use magic, but also to be punished for using magic. I want them to use magic for good, but also to be punished for using magic. So the longer they keep Gino alive, the stronger Michael gets. Okay? So we have a scenario that's like Hellraiser, you know, the more the lady kills for the Frank guy, the stronger he gets. Best female villain ever. I try to fit as much Hellraiser into as many movies as I can. (laughs) So we have a scenario where Michael is alive, right? He's been resurrected. Gino is quote unquote alive and resurrected. And, the the closer Gino gets to exposing Michael's killer, the stronger Michael gets and the more powerful he gets. And then Michael reveals that he's the villain. So he comes in and he kind of kicks some ass and the ladies go, you know what? We need, we need mom. We need mom to fight Michael. So they Wait, call. So who killed Michael? You have no idea. So Michael is bad. Michael is bad. So they call their mom in and the mom is like, I have to fight you, Michael. I have to put you to rest. You know, I'm, I'm with Gary now you're in the past. I have to fight you. And then he goes, no, 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 no. You are still married to me. You're married to me until death do us part. And I'm not dead anymore. So now you have to obey me. And then he kind of like uses a reverse magic spell and brainwashes Sally, who is, you know, uh, Sandy B. And so he brainwashes Sandy B. So now Sandy B is evil because she's she's bound by contract, by by religious witch contract. She's bound to her her husband, who is Not a bad my Sandy. So here's where things get crazy. Kylie, uh, Kylie doesn't want to follow her dad or no, I'm sorry. Yeah. Kylie doesn't want to follow her dad. She follows Frankie and Gino to figure out who Gillian or to figure out who the killer is of Michael. But Antonia is like, screw that. My dad is alive now. I'm going to do what he says. And what he says is I want you to kill Gillian. That's where we now find out Gino finds out that Gillian is the person who killed Michael this whole time, <gasps> right? And the whole time we tease it up as the person who killed Michael must be very dark and very seduced by the dark side. And, you know, because Gillian... She was trying to save her sister, right? Right. So Gillian is trying to save her sister. The reason why Michael is a bad guy is because the ants use magic to force their daughter to fall in love with this guy and a demon 
took advantage of that, right? So a demon like snuck in there. He used it as a loophole because anytime you use dark magic, there's always a monkey's paw. And and while the ants were alive, they were able to protect their family. But by the daughters using bad magic, Michael was resurrected. And it turns out, I don't know when we're going to reveal this, but it turns out Michael killed the ants. But he made it look like Gillian killed the ants. So now we have this triangle. Antonia wants to kill Gillian because Antonia wants to do what her dad says. She wants to be a family again. Her her mom's brainwashed, but it doesn't care. She has her mom and her dad again. She'll do anything to hold that family together. Sally is trying to stop Kylie from stopping Antonia because she's under Michael's spell and 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 Gillian is trying to stop Sally because she knows that Sally is deep down a good person. So we have all of this stuff happening and they can be using a witch battle and the more they use their witch spells to one up each other it can be like uh you know uh duck season, rabbit season, duck season, rabbit season and like you know that Looney Tunes bit where it's like they they hold out a, a gun and then a cannon and then a rocket launcher. And it's like they just keep using magic spells to one-up each other. But the more magic they use, the darker they get. Like they start to turn into like wicked witches of the West. Like losing their hair and right. growing warts right. and like aging prematurely. Gross. Now, this is where Frankie and Gino have to go on their own little adventure. And they realize that all of this is because the only way to stop the curse is to offer a blood sacrifice. So one of these people in the family has to die. No. Here's the thing. Gino says, wait a minute. We're all about finding loopholes, right? Frankie is creative. Gino's creative. The writers, Frankie's a writer. He says, Frankie says, wait a minute. I have an idea. And Frankie says, okay, the the curse has to be ended by a by a, a family blood sacrifice, but it doesn't say it has to be the Owens family. And so Gino says, kill me. And so because Aww. Gino resurrected, right? He's like, listen, I had my time. I had but they've my been doing so much great brotherly bonding over the course they of the film. Like brothers, but here's the thing. More than they did when Gino was alive. Yeah. So Frankie is like, I, 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 I want, I'm scared of, of growing up. I'm scared of moving on without you. And Gino says, listen, I've always been the one holding you back. I might've been the big brother, but you're the one who went out and became a writer. You're the one who went out and helped all these people. I was just trying to follow in your footsteps and I'm nowhere near as good as you. And you can do good right now. You can not only report on the legend. You can not only write a book on the legend. You can be part of the legend by striking me down. And Gino. All right. So like in a grand moment of brotherly love, he, Frankie strikes Gino down and then all of the women, Gillian, Sally, Kylie, and Antonia, they're like, oh, well, since you mansplained it for us so nicely, I guess teamwork is good. And then somehow Garrett shows up 
to um, or Gary, Gary Hallett shows up in some crazy Mufasa type way at the end to be like the curse only works if you believe it. And then everything is happening. <laughs> So they, they they defeat Michael. Michael is destroyed, right? It's the ghost of Michael, but the human spirit is redeemed. The ants died, but maybe like the ants were buried in all white. And so then when the the ants come out of the grave to be like, daughters, you did it. Daughters and granddaughters, you did it. Maybe everyone can like, you know, magically have white dresses. So now Frank is not only reporting on these various lady in white stories, he is also part of one now. So he's part of this family. There's a new family of Kylie and Frank. And it's, you know what I mean? So now we have two movies coming together and and making a nice, happy ending for everybody. And that would be my version. I don't have a name for it. I like that your version took this feminist sisterly love movie and made it about two brothers. Um, <laughs> Is that what made it more understandable to you, Brett? Yes. I needed more guys explaining stuff. There's a male narrator in Lady in White. I can understand that movie. <laughs> I I love this though. I love your remake and I could totally see in that, in that climax, uh, when, when the, the tension is gone, just like in the conjuring, the sun begins to rise and everybody greets the new day with a clean slate. Right. Yeah. So I, yeah, I just wanted to, my, my goal here was my favorite kinds of movies are movies that are fan service for a very specific audience. So again, if we're going to go back to Fifth Element, which I think it's it's unfair to compare any movie to Fifth Element because that movie is 100% perfect. But Fifth Element is for That's fans... Luke Persson, right? Yeah. Fifth Element is for fans of The Fifth Element. You know what I mean? Like, if you're going to rewatch that movie, you're like, I'm already on board because I know this movie has my back. This movie, if you're fans of Practical Magic and Lady in White, it's going to satisfy all the cravings you could need from a, a, a crowd-pleasing, formulaic, fan service movie. This movie is 100% fan service. So if you think that's not a good way to approach this movie, then don't go see it when it hits theaters next next year. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I, I like that, though. I mean, everyone's got a reason to do something. And that reason is sometimes misguided, but ultimately for the greater good. Right, right. right. Yeah. I liked it. I liked it a lot. I think I think that the extra time time was worth it because I I thought that was a great pitch. I especially liked Gino's second death scene. Uh, I I feel like I saw that picture in my mind quite vividly, uh, and and I would watch this movie. I think that I would be part of this niche audience. Yeah, I think it would be really cool. Again, like there's some things we can tweak and and put in there and and yeah, but I'm pretty proud of it. 
All right. Well, let's go ahead and start wrapping things up here as the porch lights turn off and the trick-or-treaters return back to their homes and throw away the toothbrushes and raisin boxes that those misguided houses would dare to give out. Yeah, uh, little pamphlets that say we donated a dollar to your favorite charity. Ugh. Ugh. Well, that person's house deserves to be toilet But also a shout out. I mean, we're going to talk about a bad neighbor, Phil, in, in Lady in White who kills people. I had a good neighbor, Phil, who was a family friend, and he lived two houses down. And when he was handing out candy to everyone, he'd always give them, you know, little bite-sized, quote-unquote, fun-sized candies. But shout out to good neighbor, Phil, who would always give me and my brother full-size candy bars. Oh, the full-size candy bar person. What a delight. What a what a king among men. <laughs> good Phil. Uh, this one's for you. Yes. This this is all dedicated to good Phil. So before we get into our spectacular recommendations, let's tell you where you can haunt us. Well, you can haunt us on Instagram at the Necromancer Podcast, or you can haunt us on Facebook and Twitter at Necromancer Pod. You can also send us an extra scary email at <laughs> necromancerpodcast at gmail.com. All righty. So now let us get into Love Bites, our recommendations for this episode. What would you like to recommend to the children today? Have you ever seen Jet Li's movie, Black Mask? No, but I love Jet Li. Ooh, this is one of the best movies I've ever seen in my entire life. I mean, I had the poster for this movie as a kid. The poster is very iconic. It's Jet Li doing the Van Damme split, but it's in between like a hallway. And so it's like he's, you know, he's in the hallway, you know, like doing the Jet Li split standing. So he's not touching the ground. And then in the movie, it's because the ground is electrified and it's like, whoa, he's super awesome. The movie is about super soldiers and Jet Li is the good one and all the other ones are bad. And he has to come out of quote unquote retirement, right? He's a librarian who enjoys a peaceful life and he's got to come out of hiding as the black mask to fight all the bad super guys. And the movie is freaking nuts. It is like avant-garde, insane, mile a minute, anime level of just bonkers um, tonal shifts. You know, characters will be very serious and talking about honor one minute. And then the next minute they'll be like hitting each other with books in the library going like, maybe this will knock some sense into you. Like, it's just goofy. It's so goofy. But the martial arts is directed by Yuan Wo Ping, who is hands down the most prolific martial arts choreographer and the movie is just extremely kinetic it's along the lines of crank it's along the lines of like love crank shoot him up or you know just this like dead alive evil dead these these movies that are just so so purely like teenage boy testosterone hormonal like this is this was my like chugging a surge. 
What? Like chugging surge soda? Yeah. <laughs> like snorting surge soda. It is <laughs> it is just amped up to the max. I cannot recommend it enough. And I went to sh- like I went to go find a little legal stream online because I'm too lazy to put the DVD into the DVD player. Apparently, the Chinese version is different than the American version. And so I had to watch the American version because of my nostalgia. So I don't know if the Chinese version holds up. And I don't know if, like, it'd be a very interesting experiment to talk to someone who watched them in reverse order. Um, because I think the American version is just, its it's got this extra little bit of spice on it. You know what I mean? Or like... It's just right. Oh, this movie is just right. The The best way I can describe it is just watch it. Nice. <laughs> uh, where can you find it? Uh, I don't think it's on any streaming. You'd have to, mm-hmm. you'd have to pay. You'd have to drop a couple bucks to buy the rental. Um, I think it's worth the couple bucks because the American version has, like I said, it's got this like American, like it's got this hip hop influence and the editing is completely different in how it doles out the plot. It just makes the plot completely secondary. And it focuses purely on the energy of the the characters. So it's a very physical movie. It's very good. Nice. Well, yeah. I, I have to check that out. You make it sound pretty awesome. Yeah. I think uh, if you watch the trailer, you'll automatically know if it's worth following up on. It's one of those movies. Uh, how about you? What's your love bite? So as you know, I like to usually tailor my suggestions to whatever our theme is. So I've got two Halloween movies for Ooh. our audience. Uh, my favorite Halloween movie is Trick or Treat. Uh, I love that movie. It is an anthology film that is based on a comic book, if I recall correctly, about all sorts of murderous horror shenanigans <laughs> that happen on the same yeah. Halloween night. It's like a Gary Marshall movie for horror fans. Uh, (laughs) and, and, and I, I really like it. It's very campy. It's very violent. Uh, and it's got just the right amount of whimsy and some, some nice little character actor cameos that, that I, I really enjoy. Uh, but, uh, it's a movie that I tend to watch every Halloween, uh, just because it just goes so well with these times. And I highly recommend it to anyone who's a horror fan and you haven't seen Trick or Treat yet. Uh, you should definitely put it on your list. It um, is it is the 2007 version because there's at least 130 movies called Trick or Treat. It's that is a really good point. <laughs> it's the 2007 version, which is written and directed by Michael Doherty. And I got to say, Michael Doherty did do, I thought, he did do a very good fan service well-done job of doing Godzilla King of the Monsters. I like that movie a lot. That's very fan service Do you like Trick or Treat? Eh. Well... Not for Fran, not for Brett's, but for everybody else. But it's worth watching because it is really different and it is really cool. I I really like it. 
and then the other recommendation, this is for my Halloween people who aren't necessarily going to dive head first into a movie like Trick or Treat, uh, because maybe it's too scary. Maybe you, you want a little light, light and fun mm-hmm. spookiness. I don't think it gets any better than Clue. It's not technically a Halloween movie, but there's murder. It takes place in a mansion. There's a whodunit aspect. And this movie is packed to the brim with brilliant comedic actors. You got Tim Curry. You got Madeline Kahn. You got um, Christopher Lloyd. Uh, and was, Martin is it Mike- Maul. Uh, Michael McKean? Michael McKean. Yeah. yeah just... Every single person in this movie has genius level comedic timing. It's nonstop laughs. Oh, Leslie Ann Warren as Miss Scarlet. Wow, wow, wee wow. Uh, <laughs> she's gorgeous uh, and hilarious. But I think Clue is one of the funniest, greatest movies ever made, and it is perfect for the Halloween season. Yep. Uh, I I will say uh, there are some classic movies that I've seen that I did not like. I did I did not like Taxi Driver. I did not like Blade Runner. I did not like Taxi Driver. I did not like My Cousin Vinny, and I did not like Clue. I love My Cousin Vinny. I did not like any of these movies the first time I saw them. However, I do think that these are classics for a reason, and you should rewatch them every so often. Give them a second chance because I do now think all of those movies that I mentioned are very good movies. I cannot imagine a me that thinks My Cousin Vinny is a bad movie because that movie is genius. Oh, it's brilliant. In (laughs) fact, I would be tempted to review that movie if we do a lawyer's episode because I and I think that uh, Joe Pesci and Marissa Tomei, their relationship is so nice. It's very hashtag relationship goals. Uh, um, and yeah, that's such a good movie. But, uh, yeah. Taxi Ooh. Driver. Every time it rains, I say someday yeah. a real <laughs> rain's gonna come. Um, yeah, I, I think Taxi Driver and Blade Runner are, are masterpieces. I don't think Clue is a masterpiece, but I've only seen that movie twice. And I have to say the jump from me thinking it was a bad movie the first time to me thinking it was a good movie the second time, it was a pretty big jump. So I imagine the third time I watch it, I'll, I'll jump even more. It's a good movie. It is a very good movie. Yeah, watch it again. And I think that the best version, uh, I mean, when I was a kid, I thought that they played different versions on uh, when they were programming it because they did multiple endings to the movie. They have three endings. And it used to be every time I'd watch the movie, they'd show a different ending. But I... But I think that if you if you got it on demand or you rented it, you can see all the endings. Yeah. But just yeah, make yeah, yeah. sure that you see all the endings to Clue because the last ending is my absolute favorite. It's the the way that the, it's mind boggling. It's mind boggling that they could create a story that has three endings that work as a murder mystery solution. It's it is really smart, and I do quote it a lot. I quote um, 
let us out, let us out, let us in, let us in. (laughs) It's, It's a great movie. It is very good. All right. Well, I guess that is it for today. Spook you later. Necromancer is produced by Brett Dorman and Shira Moore. The theme song is Symphonia 3 by Kevin McLeod on the album Oddities.